The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. If you've ever wanted to ask a director of PA admissions your questions and get their insights on what it takes to be a PA, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I am honored to introduce you to this week's podcast guest. We have Marianne Stahovich from the um, California Baptist University. She's the director of PA admissions and the didactic coordinator. Um... So she's a professor there and has tons of great experience that she shares with us in today's episode. After being a PA for over 25 years, working in multiple states, moving around different specialties, you know, she really is a testament to that lateral mobility that we talk about a lot. And I think you will learn so much from this episode as she tells us, you know, things to consider if you are applying to PA school, things that PA schools are looking for and gives you that insight that we're all looking for. So we'll jump into that in just a second. And again, I'm so grateful for her taking the time out of her busy schedule, especially during application season, to come on and share with us. So I'm excited for that to be one of our first interviews back on the podcast. Um, Other stuff going on that you may want to know about uh, this weekend, if you're listening live on May 7th, we're doing a webinar on supplementals and experience details. The applications are open. Hopefully you've been working on your personal statement and have been able to move on to working on maybe some supplementals and some experience details. So we're going to do some live editing of that, some talking through that and what you should be focusing on there. So that'll be on May 7th at 8 p.m. And as always, our webinars for this year will be going up on YouTube. So you can go watch them there if you miss one. But we'll jump in and we have some some really cool stuff coming up for you uh, just on the website, new resources, new things that I think will be helpful to you. So stay tuned for some of that. Uh, the Pre-PA Workbook is available on Amazon now. And you have a couple more days to jump on our promotion where you get the free pre or PA school interview course. If you send us a receipt by May 7th, you just email that to info at thepaplatform.com and we will make sure you can get signed up. All right, let's jump into our interview and I hope you enjoy this. If you have any questions, all the information will be in the description for you. 
actually starting at the age of seven, I had a um, outpatient surgery, which was actually, it was actually painful. And so when I had to have a repeated outpatient surgery, uh, my parents took me to a different facility and it was a very different experience. And so uh, everything from the personalized interactions to uh, even being given a gown that was uh, pediatrics based, there were a number of details that really stood out to me, but particularly the compassion. Um, and as a seven-year-old, really remember that. And so that's really what started my interest in medicine. Um, and then when I was a, uh, actually it wasn't until I was a senior uh, in college at uh, UC San Diego, um, I learned about the PA profession and the roots that it had also in the, in the military. Uh, and so I was able to shadow some flight surgeons oh, in cool. some of the local bases. And that was very, very helpful as well. And it confirmed that that was a really exciting path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm very interested and I'm sure we'll get into it and in how how the profession and PA education has changed over time. Um, you know, yeah. I went to Augusta University, which had a program fairly early um, and had been around for a while. And, you know, even when PA education was a bachelor's degree and then became a master's. So what kind of, you know, thinking back on your pre-PA journey and what you had to do to get into PA school, what did that look like and how is it a little bit different now? Right. It, you're right. It was really different. When I learned about how intensive uh, PA programs were, that it was, it was based on a medical model and it was very condensed, but it was based on that same training um, that physicians has had. In fact, it was originally formulated from a fast track um, training program that was used during the war, World War II, when they had to be able to expedite the training of physicians. Um, I thought, well, that is so much. I said, it makes sense that somebody would be earning a master's degree. Yeah. So I decided at that time, and this was over 25 years ago, to look specifically at master's programs. Okay. I was surprised to find that they were all outside of California at that time. Yeah. And so uh, that meant uh, applying out of state and that was exciting. Um, and so actually I got into Emory, which is in Georgia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, also Baylor, which is in Houston. And they were also offering master's then. Um, some of the older, some of the older um, programs in the country, and I ultimately chose to go to Northeastern University okay. in Boston, which is a twenty-four month program, actually, which is in the program I'm in now. Uh, as a faculty member, is also twenty-four months. There's some nice similarities there. Northeastern was one of the first uh, pay programs in the country that was uh, started. That was. Uh, has its own affiliation with the university. In other words, it's not um, directly connected to a medical school, but rather uh, collaborates with community partners. 
And that's also the same model that our program is using. So okay. it's really been kind of a nice parallel. Been able so, to adopt yes. a lot of that. Yes. yes, but I left, I left the state because I knew the program would be so intense. And I thought I might as well be earning a master's degree. Right. Yeah, so, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna do it, might as well do yes. it. Yes, and of course, it sounds a great decision. Right, right. Now it's 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 joyful to be able to share with applicants. You know, it's fantastic. You don't need to travel out of state to earn your master's degree, right? Because yeah. that's where the profession is is at with all the programs. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And so, with you know, seeing how how all of PA education has progressed and changed. Um, thinking ahead as well. I mean, where do you see the profession heading in the next few years? But, you know, 25 years from now, where do you think we'll be? I think we have a lot of exciting times upcoming. You know, there is a lot of discussion, for instance, within the profession um, about the the doctor programs that are available. And certainly they're uh, much more readily available than before. Um, That's an exciting discussion. And it's very interesting to me because over the years I had heard there were many discussions about the title changes as well. Um, and so to, to actually be at that stage now is really exciting. And I really think that that's gonna bring us quite a lot of more impact. Different changes, yeah. Um, okay, so thinking about your career as a PA, what areas have you worked in? What has been your favorite and maybe least favorite? Uh, what have you kind of learned through your experience just being a PA clinically? Right, right. So um, I would say that the um, uh, it's been a great journey. And sort of my journey is really a testimony to the fact that lateral mobility really is possible. So I started working in a rural health clinic in Texas. And then uh, that was actually connected to an ER. So there was ER coverage with it. Um, I was the only female provider in town. Um, So that was also an interesting role for people to actually be able to have access if they wanted to see a female provider. Uh, And then actually I moved to Pennsylvania and was uh, move directly to an inpatient psychiatric PA position. So that was really different as was shifting to another state because I was able to learn that it's true. Each state has its own regulations about the PA profession. So really learned a lot ahead of time before I made the move in terms of what would be necessary. Um, but it was exciting to be able to do that. And then from there, I actually shifted into a position uh, that was in an inpatient physical rehabilitation center, actually a hospital. So um, it had an outpatient uh, center with it as well. So that was a really different kind of work, working with a lot of people who had strokes, or that had a hip replacement, but just were too weak to be able to go home or be discharged um, to a sniff and could withstand very intensive therapy, you know, five or six days a week. So that was really uh, an interesting role. And then after that, um, 
uh, my family and I, we moved to Southern California. So that that's this is the third state that I practiced in. And then for the last uh, 16-ish years or so, I've been affiliated with a urgent care and occupational medicine clinic chain. And that's been interesting too, to see how even within one company, different satellite clinics can really have different different personalities. So learning to work with everyone at different clinics is also really been interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, you're a very interesting PA. I'm a boring PA. I'm nine years in and I've only ever done the same thing and don't really have any plans on changing. Uh, but that's okay but, too. I, yeah. I think that's also right. That's a further test. Find your thing. If you really know what you want to do and you love what you're already doing in that field, yeah. then why not? Um, right. So I really think that that's fantastic as well. And I'm also happy to share that, you know, over these um, over 25 years as a PA, I have not had to um, accrue additional required formal education. So it yeah. really is true that the PA program training um, is, is enough if one chooses. At the same time, I'm also thrilled that there are these additional pathways for our students and other students to choose if they want fellowships, or residencies, yeah. um, some of our students have pursued that path. So I think that's really the best of both worlds. More right? options. Yeah, no, it's true. And and I, even though I have stayed in dermatology, I have always liked the um, assurance that if we have to move or if something happens, I feel very confident that the skills I've learned in my position will translate into other areas of medicine and be valuable. Um, and, and there are areas that I see, you know, even in the future, like maybe, maybe I will explore that one day and, you know, have, have other interests. But, um, once you kind of find that home base that is, is good and what you enjoy. I think a lot of PAs seeing my class, some of them switched around a little bit at the beginning, but have kind of found what they like and kind of stayed there. Uh, I think another benefit of the growth that we've had in the PA profession over the years has been the additional communities that have been built up. So right with the huge expansion, it's been interesting to see how AAPA has uh, really, uh, you know, expanded over the years, but also all the subsequent constituent groups as well, right? So somebody okay. knows that dermatology is for them or that ER is for them. There's also those specialty organizations and there's a lot of close networking very good. opportunities that are there. Yeah. So I always encourage students and, you know, really sometimes pre-PAs as well, if they know that they're really keen on a specialty, they may want to look into the specialty organizations. Sometimes they have special rates for students or even people who are pre-PAs. Um, and that can be really, really powerful. That's actually where, for instance, the uh, emergency medicine PA group is actually where I found some fantastic information before I moved from uh, Massachusetts to Texas to take on you know, this partial ER role. Um, so I joined a specialty group and learned uh, what was, you know, involved and there was some networking that was very helpful. And then I also joined the state constituent group. 
So I'm really a big believer that that's really important um, given yeah. all the strides that we've had. And that's also what enabled me to be successful in um, shifting gears because the requirements are different state to state. Yeah. Wasn't, that way I wasn't caught off guard. Very involved. Yeah. And that's what Texas has a great um, society and so does California. They're very strong. Um, ours in Georgia is very good as well. I know some, some students are like, I can't find it. I don't know what, if we have one and what like, you might, but they just may not be very active. But um, a lot of states are are trying and, and could probably use help from the students to yes. help with some of those things. There's lots of opportunity there. Yes. Um, how, so what, how was your switch into education? Is that something you always kind of saw yourself getting involved with as far as academics? Um, what was that like to get into so, that? It's an interesting question because when I decided um, to pursue the master's degree, I also realized that, you know, maybe if there were other avenues that that might also be helpful, but that might be another reason to go ahead and take that at that time, it was a, you know, really, it was a leap. Um, and so I, I kind of thought about that early on. Um, and then our program here at California Baptist University um, welcomed its first cohort in the fall of 2016. And that's when I uh, joined. And so it's really been fantastic to be here. You know, it's actually, I live and work here in Riverside. Uh, I've been raising my family with my husband here. Um, so I'm really invested in the community. So it's been really exciting to actually also be part of the PA program here in our community. Yeah, I get to so, see that. Yes, it's been a really, a really good, uh, a really good fit. I will also say it's been exciting to see uh, over time the other ways that PAs can be involved clinically. Um, for instance, in the occupational medicine company that I'm that I work for over time they've been bought out a few times but over time they have also employed PAs um, I think primarily in Texas who are basically consultants for the EHR interesting okay. yes it's kind of an informatics PA position which cool. is not something necessarily that would first come to mind when we think about PAs but they have a vital role not only in navigating um, the EHR, but understanding what kind of crucial documentation is needed. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really been interesting to me that some companies are also thinking outside the box, right? In terms yeah. of how PAs um, can be utilized. And we see more leadership positions, administrative positions in pharmaceutical companies, so that's all very, very exciting. I'm pursuing my um, doctorate currently. And so, uh, yes, it's an, it's an exciting time. Yeah. seems like there's lots of doors opening for PAs. And I think just from what I see with applicants and students and fellow PAs, um, in generally, PAs tend to be kind of like go-getters. And, you know, some of the people who are willing to try some new stuff and take things on. And so I've, I've seen PAs also moving into leadership in pharmaceutical companies and um, like medical science liaison roles where previously we would only really ever see pharmacists doing that. Um, and, and there are some, like you said, like really cool leadership research opportunities 
coming up, it seems like for PAs, telehealth is becoming yes, much more of a, of a big deal. So it, it's, I think for these upcoming PAs, there's going to be so much opportunity um, and cool things that they may get to get involved with and, and try right. out. Right. Exciting, exciting times. And it it doesn't mean that when you apply to PA school or even when you graduate that you necessarily have to have, right, a path. Yeah. Um, That's part of the beauty of it, right, as these additional positions have been evolving over time and and because the lateral mobility is already there anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Just getting back on board. Well, so in your experience, both as a clinical PA and then in academics, um, what are some things that make a student successful in PA school? Uh, What do you see students kind of struggling with or um, maybe coming in and, and not being quite prepared enough for when it comes to actual PA school? Honestly, I think it's hard for anyone to be completely prepared for PA school. (laughs) And we do ask them later, right? So no matter how academically gifted a person is, there's still going to be an academic challenge, truthfully. And part of that is just because of the nature, the condensed nature of the program, no matter where someone goes, right? No matter the length of the program. So I think that just being um, flexible, as you know, I know that you've emphasized before, is truly part of the key. In other words, having a mindset early on that I'm going to be needing to learn new skills. So what worked for me as an undergraduate or even as a non-traditional student, if I'm taking night classes um, or something similar, you can really almost count on the fact that you're going to have to shift gears and re-engineer yourself in terms yeah. of study skills. But but the good news is that you're not alone. And so that's where the community, your cohort that you're with becomes really vital yeah. because they are the ones who are undergoing that same journey with you. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's, it's hard to explain to someone ahead of time exactly what they're getting into, but they, they tend to learn fairly quickly that the there's high expectations and it's just different than anything else. It's different than a full-time job. It's different than undergrad. It's just a lot. Um, when you're looking at an applicant for a PA school, like a pre-PA student who's applying, what makes someone stand out or makes you feel more confident that they have what it takes to be a successful PA student and a great PA? Right. I mean, honestly, it's many components. Uh, And so even if we're reviewing the applications initially, we know when we're looking at the applications that that's not really the whole picture. We know that we're going to have to have an interview uh, to be able to clarify some of the personality characteristics that will be vital Um, One of those that comes to mind that was actually best summarized by one of our current uh, cohort classmates is one of respect, Uh, realizing that so when instructors are providing information or program is sharing information, 
it's really coming from a point of experience, even though maybe in the moment, some of the material or some of the methods may not be initially apparent. Uh, it's because it's being shared from a perspective. We're all PAs and we've all been in your shoes. And so sometimes it takes that understanding or realization that maybe right now it's not completely apparent how this could be beneficial to me. But um, just taking that bit of trust and knowing we've been down your path, we're right there with you. Our goal is your goal for you to be a PA. That certainly is really, really a vital, vital component. So isn't that so hard to tell from someone's application and, and, and like, even if like interviews are such a short snapshot of who someone is, that it's, it's so tough. Um, when I've been helping with my programs, interviews, it almost comes down to like very small things, a very, you know, small statement or something can be that one little red flag that makes me go, Ooh, I just don't know if you're ready. Um, compared to somebody else because everybody I feel like at this point these students like work so hard and they're so impressive like I don't think I would have gotten in when I applied looking back I would have had to do a lot more um are there any major red flags that you see either on applications or in interviews or personal statements that just make you kind of go oh probably not the best fit for us well, I mean, there, there can be. Honestly, we have, and I think this is the case for all programs, such a large number uh, applying that honestly, by the time that we look at the qualified pool, um, that's that's less likely to be to be an issue. Um, I do think it's important for um, applicants when they're applying to think carefully about all the categories. We know the application is long, right? We read the applications too. Um <laughs> I will share one caveat that we notice each year is uh, those who are able to differentiate the healthcare experience clearly from the uh, personal um, care experience, which is really the more hands-on medical-based experience that we're looking for, that is very helpful. Or So as an example, right, somebody who's been a medical assistant in the front office that's helpful for understanding the flow and certainly um, all of the administrative parts of medicine. Uh, and so that is great experience that would be counted under healthcare experience. Uh, then when programs have a certain minimum number of hours, and they may not, some, some don't, for personal care experience, which is really the medical hours, a better example of that would be back medical office experience, right? So that's a medical assistant who is taking the patient into the room, working with them in the patient room with vitals. Maybe they're involved with taking part of their history. Um, perhaps they're called back in to help with a procedure. Uh, they're also helping potentially when a patient is getting discharged, providing them additional instructions. So that is a difference between where someone would list experience. It's still experience, right? right? But it helps us if that can be clearly delineated between the healthcare experience and the uh, medically oriented hands-on experience with the patient. We do look at we do look at both, that it's important to know that when looking at the specific parameters a program has, 
is really vital. So the deeper an applicant can dig into what's important for a program, the yeah. better, right? It means that that applicant is able to customize their approach Mm -hmm. And we can recognize when somebody has taken the time to customize their approach in their application. Yeah. To your and that's really how we think about the, the fit. Right. Well, now that leads me to my next question is how can students feel like they are making a good list of programs? I feel like when you look at program websites, things start to run together. And it's been interesting talking to students. Um because I feel like sometimes they don't necessarily understand parts of the program website, things like curriculum. They'll look ah. at, and just, you know, I, from an accreditation standpoint, there's a standard of curriculum that has to be taught. But I've had students who email me and say, I want to go to this program because they teach ophthalmology, but this other program doesn't. And I'm like, hold on. No, no, no. They definitely will teach you ophthalmology. It just may not be listed out in the same manner. You know, that's that's a core core part of it. Like you're going to get that. Um, so what how can students when they're trying to figure out if it's a good fit, what questions can they should they be asking or what kind of stuff would they be looking for? Um maybe the mission statement and things to feel like it's a good fit. Sure. They can't go visit or go to an info session. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So great, great question. So to your first point that you're doing an excellent job clarifying this for, for pre-applicants, which is that when you look at the uh, curriculum, they, the curricula can be very different. And that's because uh, for our accredited programs here in the U S that our accrediting agency uh, ARCPA uh, requires certain standards for all the programs. How they're interpreted uh, in some ways is up to the program, but ARCPA is very clear and says that, you know, because we specifically list, uh, for example, that you must cover uh, anatomy, and physiology, genetics, you don't necessarily have to have a specific class for each of these specific requirements. So some of those will be folded into um, a class. Um, and so I think that's important. You won't know exactly from the title itself right. uh, what's being covered or what's not being covered. So I think that's important to keep in mind that looking more at the regulation of uh, programs in general and all of our requirements is more helpful or yes so that's important to be reassured about and they did that so that there is that flexibility of interpretation it also means that programs because of that have a wider variety of approaches honestly that's better for the students to be able to choose from right uh, and so for example in our program that means we've had the latitude to arrange for ultrasound teaching as an example we've uh, partnered with one of our local medical schools to do that previously. And we also partner with our College of Nursing here at California Baptist University to facilitate um, some learning activities. And um, also we've had simulations. So that is, but we have that flexibility because of the way the accreditation is set up. 
Yeah, so I'm sure yeah, that awesome. answers. No, it does. That that does help. And is there anything? And that's what I was going to ask next too. Is is there anything specific about your program that you feel is unique or something that students may not know or realize is something beneficial? I think ultrasound training has become such a a big thing over the past few years, um, and that's something that is very beneficial to the students. Um, we had like one day of ultrasound and now I feel like there's a lot more, it's being incorporated a lot more into um, didactic year. And it sounds like y'all have a really good like interprofessionalism um, approach at your program. So yeah, is there anything that you feel like students would wanna know or that your students get really excited about that, somebody looking to apply may not realize just looking at the website. So we really, we find that uh, students will often report that um, the professors truly care about the students. Um, and so, but of course that's always for the applicant to interpret to what degree for themselves. We, we uh, aim to include either students or alumni in our interview day so that applicants have a chance to chat um, completely as they wish and no questions off limits to find out what is it really like to be a student in our program. We think that's really beneficial. Uh, we know you can have lots of printed material to have access to, but someone who's in the program or has been in the program can probably give you the best picture. And that would be for any program really, right? So that would be a good way to also help decide what's important for you as an applicant. Um, is it really crucial that it be somewhere geographically close by? I think being geographically flexible is actually pretty, can open up a lot of doors. I mean, especially since the average uh, applicant applies to, I think it's you know, seven or eight programs typically. So thinking about how flexible could you be geographically is, is important as well. One idea. We have lots of people who want to apply in California. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, I, I popular say, state. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. But there and but California has many different um, aspects to it. And so I think that again, diving into research into what's really drawing you um, to a specific locale is really, really important. So we're in Riverside. Uh, we happen to be the only physician assistant program in the county of Riverside. And our region that's defined as Riverside and San Bernardino is a very medically underserved area. And so we um, have been happy to know that actually in the current two cohorts that we have, we have four uh, students, current students who are NHSC winners, national wow. scholar core winners. Yes, yes. Either uh, having applied before they came to the program or when they came to the program, mm -hmm. they found out about that. Fellow students were applying and then they applied. Yeah. Um, embarking on a loan repayment program. But that's really, it's congruent um, you know, with the fact that we are already in a medically underserved area. If they're willing to continue to serve after they graduate in a medically underserved area. So yeah. we're very excited about that. It shows, you know, alignment with the students that are coming into the program with being committed uh, to serve in the area as well. 
No. Um, we also are a yellow ribbon university, which means that um, we have uh, there's some special benefits for veterans. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that that's very congruent with the PA profession. Yes. The first physician assistants were military corpsmen. Um, and really without them, we would not have the profession. So I think that that's, a, that's also something that we're um, proud of as well. And we have won the last four of the six California Academy of Physician Assistant Medical Challenge Bowls too. That's impressive too. Um, that's been exciting for us given yeah. that our program opened in 2016. So um, yes. That's really taken, been taken over. <laughs> fantastic for us as well. So no, that's that's great. And that's I think those are the things that you know students may not know about or may need to research more and we'll add some resources to. Um because there are a, a lot of programs that um say they have a focus or would like to, you know, emphasize underserved areas or um veterans and I think it's it's cool to actually talk to someone who's saying like yes we actually say that and we do it um to have those NHSC scholars and be in an area where you can really serve your community right right so that's very it's very exciting for us you know there really is a need I mean there's a need for more PAs no question anywhere but in our geographic area that's particularly true um, and so it also means that we know that the students, when they're going on their clerkships, they're also you know, undergoing their clerkships in areas that are truly in, in need. Um, and so it's really providing a, it's, it's providing a vital resource early on. Yeah. And that's, that is a great experience um, for the students as well. So, yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing your insights. I know this will be extremely helpful to all of our pre-PA students and even PA students who are, are kind of thinking about what they may want to do next or any interest in academics to um, kind of think about where their path may take them. So thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Um, and You're welcome. We'll You're welcome. And, and I also, I wanted to express my gratitude that you are continuing what you're doing because it's very, very important, you know, for people who are applying to PA school to really have a definitive understanding um, that this is that this is the best path for them. We always say, you know, take the time that you need to explore. And if you've been a PT aide, consider looking at PTs, right? If you've been an ophthalmology technician, consider looking at ophthalmology. And then if you decide that that's not for you, it gives you more information actually right. about the path that you do choose. And ultimately, because we are vital members of a team, there's another benefit because you've also learned all the more about additional roles, right? right. If you've been a pharmacy tech then you're working with pharmacists and you really understand the role of a pharmacist and whether or not you become a pharmacist or a PA, then you still understand more about the team concepts. And in the end, that's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, I think that's one of the the huge benefits of our profession and the education is just all those different backgrounds and experiences coming together to help all of us be a little bit more well-rounded. 
Yes, yes. And thank you also, Savannah, for the encouragement that you've provided to reapplicants as well. That's really important. People should really take that to heart and, and know that um, that's also looked at as well. They have a time to expand their experiences, perhaps, or broaden them and, uh, and to not lose faith. 